Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is your host, Matt Chatham, back here again to do this college football preview. We've been plowing through the Power Five conferences. We've given you the Big Ten. We've given you the Big 12. We've even done a Pac-12 show. And now we're going to head out east little more in my neighborhood here. We're going to stick it on the Atlantic and go ACC today. And with me, as always, is Brady Quinn, former Notre Dame quarterback and NFL quarterback. Brady, how's it going, buddy? Hey, Matt, man. Glad to be here. I feel like it's been a while since we last were on a podcast together. I know. It's been a little bit, but uh, this is your wheelhouse. I'm really excited to have you on this one because, uh, we, we're yes, we're doing ACC, but uh, we're going to start the show today. Uh, and talk a little bit about a game that's going to involve an ACC team, but that is out of conference. And knowing that, you know, people out there understand we've been doing this Power 5 uh, preview series. Uh, Notre Dame, your school, obviously isn't in that mix, but, you know, maybe always an outside chance of potentially getting a playoff. This year, on November 21st, a pretty cool thing is going on up here in uh, the New England area where Notre Dame and Boston College, the ACC school, are actually going to meet one another for the first time in a while in Fenway Park, which is a pretty cool deal for for Notre Dame and obviously big for Boston College. Anything that can generate interest around that program is a good deal. Uh, obviously, you don't get to play there anymore, but could you talk about sort of the idea of a player getting to go into an old historical place like that and, you know, a couple Catholic schools banging heads? Well, Matt, I don't know if you saw recently, but Notre Dame actually, uh, while they're giving one of their walk-ons, awarding him with a scholarship uh, for all his hard work and all that, they had him model uh, the actual uniform they'll be wearing for that game. Uh, the helmet, everything is completely different. It's this very cool, all green uh, style uniform that Under Armour kind of hooked him up with. So, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, along with the fact that you get to play at Fenway Park, it's like that's the kind of cool traditions that uh, you're able to get there at Notre Dame. And that wasn't always, you know, what brought me there. I mean, I think the gold helmets and the allure of that. Uh, played more to like the uniform, but and just the opportunity to play in cool spots. I mean, I remember when I was there, we got to play Navy at, at the Baltimore Ravens Stadium. Uh, we got to play in the Meadowlands as well uh, before it was knocked down and the new stadium was built uh, versus Navy, Navy a couple times. So uh, it was always fun to be able to be a part of uh, the different series and the different rivalries, in particular Boston College. I mean, that's, I think that's one of the most hated ones. I mean, I know you're <laughs> right, you kind of work right. up, uh, up around that area, so you understand how hated that robbery is. And it's funny enough, it's a little bit of a reunion uh, for Steve Adazio, who used to be the O-line coach uh, yes. back in Notre Dame uh, during the Bob Davie era. Yeah, and I think something that will strike the young kids who, you know, the guys that are now fighting Irish and even some of the BC kids that, you know, they go to school right down the street in Chestnut Hill. But uh, the idea of going and playing at Fenway, a place that used to host football games many, many years ago, uh, back in the 60s, the New England Patriots, then called the Boston Patriots, actually used Fenway as their home for a while. And it's a weird spot beyond just, you know, you mentioned going to the Ravens place or getting to play in some of the other spots. This is going to be different because I think max capacity for baseball is somewhere in 30,000 range. And what they do is they put a, a big grandstand sort of in front of uh, the, the Green Monster, at least that's how they used to do it. 
back in the 60s. So you can only max out the seating so much. I mean, Notre Dame, you guys are playing in front of 90,000, 100,000 people, whatever it is. This is going to be kind of a hot box feel, kind of a weird deal where I'm a little concerned, not concerned, but just curious as to how sort of the spacing is going to go on around, you know, sort of the end zone. You, you, you throw a corner out to a guy and it goes deep and maybe gets knocked out by a foul pole. You know, <laughs> who knows how it's going to play out, but I think it's well, fun. Matt, I think it helps generate interest, which I think is always a good thing. Yeah, and I don't know if you've ever had, obviously seen Notre Dame Stadium, in particular on a home game, but look, those confines are packed right around the field as well. I mean, there's a lot of uh, people who are down actually in the south end zone, then to the north end zone, there's the band uh, for, for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish in both corners, so there's really not a whole lot of room either at Notre Dame Stadium on a home game. So believe me, the, the opposing teams feel that, and if all you have to do is go back to uh, what Notre Dame actually was able to play uh, at the Pinstripe Bowl and, and, and in Yankee, Yankee Stadium as well uh, to kind of get a, same, a similar feel of that. I mean, it, it, it's hard to kind of play in some of these baseball stadiums to kind of get it up to capacity, but they always right. seem to kind of work out. And I think the history behind it, which you mentioned, seems to be the coolest part because, you know, baseball has been around a lot longer than football has. So to tie the two together, together is pretty neat. Well, one of the things I'm thinking about, just sort of out of left field, haha. But, you know, when you have baseball, it's, I think it's different some of these newer, newer, bigger venues you talk about, like mentioned in Baltimore, mentioned in the Yankees or something like that. Boston's facilities are tiny. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you're coming here with 70 guys, 80 guys, 90 guys, whatever are on a, on a college roster these days. I don't know. Are they putting a 10 out in the outfield somewhere? Because I know the inside facilities <laughs> at Fenway pretty well. And, I mean, you can house a baseball team of 20 guys. I don't know where you're putting those 80. That's It's just going to be sort of the interesting quirkiness. Now, they've done hockey there. They've done sort of the Winter Classic deal. That's cool. But, again, different size deal. It's just there's going to be all sorts of quirks. I, I think it'll certainly be a challenge for both teams to not to give in to all the distractions and go out there and kind of do their deal. And I'll pivot here off of, off of BC real quickly. Obviously losing Tyler Murphy, who was kind of the story of that team last year, had some nice wins uh, against USC, but by and large, it wasn't a great year for BC. I do, uh, I do their games from time to time. I have a couple of them on my schedule this year. Uh, you mentioned Steve Adazio. That dude loves to run the football. O-line coach, uh, lost a lot of offensive alignment from from a season ago, and his 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 electric quarterback, who was really a, a big part of the running game, and now they got to figure out what they're going to do. So obviously Notre Dame is very well regarded in a lot of the preseason polls. BC is more of a question mark. So from a straight football standpoint, uh, that looks to be uh, heavily in Notre Dame's favor. Yeah, and then when you actually when you look at BC, look there wasn't a ton of expectations last year for for Steve Adazio considering he was facing the same exact situation. He had to get a new, completely new offensive line, and Tyler Murphy was kind of new to that position as well. So he's in familiar territory, and I think he's a guy who uh, has prided himself on developing offensive linemen, turning them into run blockers. I think uh, that might be a little bit easier for uh, most coaches, in particular in the ACC, teach them how to run block a little bit more, especially versus nowadays the smaller defensive line that's kind of built to rush the passer, in particular on the outside. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if John Hillman, the running back, who will be returning, uh, one of the returning starters, is able to kind of get a bit of a feel for a new offensive line and really a new quarterback as well at BC. Well, one of the cool things that BC does, I guess it depends on your point of view, you're not going to put a lot of points up this way, at least not through the air, but you know, having done a few of their games in the last couple of years, you, they're bizarre as far as the way their personnel is built. All their, all their wide receivers 
are like 6'4", 225, 6'5", 230. You know, they all look like either smaller tight ends or just real tall skinny kids that, quite frankly, are out there to block in the secondary to help free people. So now they transition to a situation where is it going to be run first? I don't know. They got they got good back depth, as you mentioned, but uh, does the MO have to change slightly or do they just keep rolling through? Who knows? But uh, he's still kind of keeping here to sort of a Notre Dame thread, kind of runs through a lot of the stuff we end up talking about here in the ACC, but uh, Florida State, you know, you talk ACC, at least in the last several years, especially with Jameis Winston there, the conversation in the ACC goes right there, goes right back to the top. Jameis is obviously gone now, and they have themselves a bit of a quarterback situation, but uh, the the competition had come down to Sean McGuire, a guy who saw some time a year ago when Jameis missed some games or some time with suspension. Uh, but then your guy from Notre Dame, Everett Golson, comes down and is, is a part of this competition as well. How has that shaken out thus far, and how do you see it going down for the season? You know, so far it's still been a bit of an even match. I mean, Sean McGuire has the edge in the sense that he's been with Jimbo Fisher now, and he's been understudy to Jameis Winston and seen the productivity he was capable of in that offense. Uh, but I really feel like Everett Golson's going to be the guy going into it. I just don't I, – or I couldn't imagine – him transferring with one year of eligibility left and Jimbo Fisher not giving him that kind of, oh, yeah, you got to come here and compete with a little bit of a wink. Um, you know, right. Golson was, you know, was the guy who helped take Notre Dame to the national championship in 2012 uh, as a redshirt freshman. So uh, I, I truly believe there was, you know, some, you know, there definitely was some attraction uh, for Golson for a number of places. And I'm sure uh, Florida State was maybe the one that he felt like not only could he succeed at, Jimbo Fisher could help prepare him for the next level at, but also gave him the best opportunity to go in there uh, and really produce and, and possibly play a factor in, uh, you know, getting to the college football playoff, getting to another national championship game again. I mean, wh- how ironic would it be if Golston goes down to Florida State, if he's able to take them uh, into the college football playoff and, and kind of bump out Notre Dame, who's subtly aligned uh, with the ACC based on their schedule and their agreement uh, for their other sports and including uh, right. having to play five games a season versus ACC opponents. So uh, there's a little bit of irony there, but uh, I really feel like Everett Golson is the guy for the job. He just has tremendous upside uh, in his ability to play the quarterback position. It's just a matter of if he can not turn the football over some that hampered him last season. Well, and I would I would definitely recommend for uh, for football by football listeners out there to go back and check out Brady's column. He wrote on this at the end of last week. He, his ACC preview is up there, and uh, he talks about here at length. And I'll ask you this uh, again, Brady. Is sort of the notion that you know we, we we've been doing these preview shows for for several weeks now. Most of our conversations with some of these top programs and feelings of if they'll be there or not is is centered around the quarterback position. I think that's just the nature of the game. But putting that aside, with Florida State beyond that. The depth is actually pretty quality. They, they return a decent amount of people. And again, Florida State has felt through recruiting to have sort of a reload, a reload, excuse me, kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, you look at the wide receiver position in particular. I mean, that's pretty attractive. You got Jesus Wilson, Travis Rudolph, you know, two guys who have a ton of talent. They'll be playing on Sundays as well. Uh, and But really an offensive line that somewhat needs to be built. I think that's where there maybe was some hesitation. But you know, again, looking at the defense for Florida State, they're stacked. And I think that's what really gives the Seminoles a great chance of repeating if they're able to have competent quarterback play. I mean, you're talking about Demarcus Walker, Derek Mitchell, uh, now uh, Lawrence Stample, all on the defensive front who have done a good job of creating pressure on quarterbacks in the past. And the secondary, Jalen Ramsey is one of the best uh, cornerbacks in the country. I actually think he's going to skyrocket up the boards 
once he goes through the uh, the combine, is able to show his athleticism, but also his size. You know, a lot of people want that six foot plus uh, tall corner nowadays in the NFL. They don't want those smaller corners because they don't feel like they can match up with a lot of the Calvin Johnson esque type uh, wide receivers. And Jalen Ramsey gives you that at the cornerback position. And really, Tyler Hunter, Hunter, and Nate Andrews, uh, two other guys at the safety positions who uh, provide more depth and veteran leadership on the back end, have done a nice job. So this team's set up to really make a run of repeating again in the ACC, it just comes down to who the quarterback's going to be and really what's his ceiling. Well, sort of staying on that other side of the ledger, uh, Clemson is a team that Deshaun Watson, the guy who's there, some people are calling sort of a Heisman candidate for the upcoming season. Uh, how, how do you see things playing out there in, in Clemson this year? Well, look, I mean, I, last year I felt like it was a little bit of uh, – I don't know, I guess, I guess a disappointment when you look at the way um, they they lost to Sean Watson, he gets injured, Cole Stout comes in at quarterback and, and really can't play up to the level of Deshaun Watson. I mean, one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks uh, in the ACC. I think that's why there's really uh, so much excitement around uh, his return coming back in the lineup. And look, Mike Williams, Octavius Scott, it just seems like Clemson continues to produce these game-breaking wide receivers, kind of like Sammy Watkins, DeAndre Hopkins, right. Hopkins for the uh, Houston Texans. You know, these two, are, again, are two very talented players who should play a huge part. But the biggest question coming into the season, at least offensively, is can Deshaun Watson stay healthy? It's something he hasn't been able to do yet in his collegiate career. And the only returning lineman for the Clemson Tigers is center Ryan Orton. So that poses a little bit of an issue when you've got four brand-new starters uh, coming into a league that has some pass rushes, and it's going to give them a bit of a problem. And then defensively, they, they really were, are pretty much depleted. I mean, you had Vic Beasley, a defensive end. He was a first-round pick. Uh, yep. Stephon Anthony, a linebacker, uh, another top-round pick. So that's just two of the outstanding players who had a huge part. Grady Jarrett, a, a nose guard, another very disruptive player. So they've got to fill a lot of holes on defense. You know, you got only three guys returning. You lose eight. Uh, I just don't see them being able to really compete uh, with the likes of Florida State, in particular, if Ever Golson has the type of year you could have, or even Georgia Tech for that matter. I think a lot of people are sleeping on the uh, on Georgia Tech at this point. Yeah, I think it's a decent point. You helped me sort of transition to that. You know, Duke has been a team that's kind of uh, an antagonist, I guess. They're They're kind of there. They're the surprise team each year. Georgia Tech looks a little more loaded, at least talent-wise, to, to – be that other team it's almost sort of like uh, I guess in my view that Florida State is kind of head and shoulders Clemson if healthy as you mentioned can be a 1B but it's a, a long start they long shot they've got one of the toughest schedules in all of all of college football coming up this year uh, but then you have that really heavy middle class upper middle class I guess like the Georgia Techs of the world Duke who's kind of always knocking on the door that no one really believes is there but they, they hang around uh, even Syracuse is, is maybe even a little outside that, that purview. Louisville's a team that's kind of competent in there since they've moved them, made the move over. But in that next tier of teams, is Georgia Tech your, your sort of your, your next, or, or is there someone else in sort of that group, maybe Virginia Tech or somebody that, that might make the bounce back in, in 2015? Yeah, you know, a lot of people talk about Georgia, or excuse me, Virginia Tech uh, being one of those teams that's kind of a sleeper in the ACC. You know, I don't see it quite as much. I and mean, I really like Georgia Tech. I love Justin Thomas, quarterback. Um, you know, there's no one better in the country to run the triple option. I know only a few teams do it, but he really runs it to, to a mastering level. I mean, when you watch this kid with the football, it's almost magic watching him be able to keep it at times or whether or not he gives in the way he carries out fakes and so forth. 
and they return off you know, four of their offensive linemen, which will be huge again for protecting them up front. Michael Summers, a wide receiver, even though they don't throw the football very often, he's a very capable wide receiver when they decide to do so. The, the biggest key will be finding uh, spots for really those wingbacks, the T-backs, H-backs, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they've got to fill a lot of voids there, a lot of, um, I guess you could say, inexperience coming in for this season. But then you look at the defensive side of the football, and this team's loaded. Their entire secondary comes back, and you, you better believe there's going to be some teams looking to pass against them considering how much time Paul Johnson and Jordan Tech runs off the clock on offense. The linebacker level, too. I mean, P.J. Davis is coming back. Uh, Tyler Marcodes, and there's a lot of depth coming back in the back end and really at the linebacker positions. You know, up front, uh, Kashawn Freeman's a defensive end, a bit undersized, but he's able to get after the passer, has a nice motor. So he's another player who I think could have an impact on the defensive side of the football. So I really like the way Georgia Tech kind of stacks up versus their opponents. And uh, when you look at their schedule, I mean, they've got Florida State at home. They have Georgia at the end of the season at home. That's a non-conference game, but a pretty big you know, robbery game, Virginia Tech at home. Uh, their toughest games on the road, at Notre Dame, at Duke, and at Clemson, uh, which they have a little bit of time in between. You know, and I think the other sleeper team that they play at home as well is North Carolina. But, Matt, let me ask you this. You know, a guy who uh, you know, played defense and has to deal with the triple option, a lot of people said Paul Johnson couldn't do this when he first came in the ACC. They said, no, that's just something you do at Navy because you don't have the athletes. Well, now he has the athletes and he's implying the same scheme. I mean, how tough is it to prepare for the option? Well, I'll put it this way. If you know they're in your conference, and I did deal with this in college with a team that actually uh, has been beating up on some Division One teams, some uh, uh, North Dakota State, North Dakota State, the Bison, as we call them. Uh, they've, they've been a team that has been running triple options since the beginning of time. They, they go into places like Kansas. They've beaten Minnesota. They've beaten uh, Iowa State. They've knocked and beat them handily. I mean, really dominated. It didn't look like they were, uh, you know, down a division, playing up a division. That was a program that you knew if they weren't in your division, they'd give you a tough look because you don't get a practice against it. But when you're in your conference, you know, that, that was a team that, you know, we, we, we spent months in offseason working on triple option work. It's just different. So when you're prepared for it, because it's just such a fundamental based thing, I think it's handleable, handleable, if that's a word. Uh, Georgia Tech, obviously, you mentioned the point, but if you have elite athletes running it, it makes it that much different. But I think in that conference, especially in a place like Florida State, they've got some elite athletes on defense as well. I guess when I would look at it with the Georgia Tech situation, if you're a team, you know, if you're Syracuse, if you're Louisville, if any other team, Wake Forest, anyone who's in that conference, you have the ability to sort of predict that you're going to see it, rep the crap out of it all offseason and prepare for it, and it's doable. Now, again, Georgia Tech's a team that's finishing, you know, 10-3, and 11-3, that, that kind of range each year. So they're, they're obviously being effective with it, but I think the teams that scares the most – are the teams that are out of conference that don't see it all the time. You might draw Georgia Tech in your bowl game, and it's like, whoa. You know, even if they weren't didn't have the season you had, they'd scare you because it's just not something you're you know prepared for. Not prepared for is the wrong word, but you're just not as exposed to it. You haven't seen it a lot, and you'll get out there and you'll rep that one defensive end over and over and over again about how it's going to be, and he gets that first game rep, and he, he, he takes the pitch when he's supposed to take the handoff or or vice versa, or he just misses a key and it goes for eighty. And that's why I think those teams will always be okay. You know, maybe it will be tough to to finally push past. And could you beat Oregon if you ran into them in the college playoff series of that? Probably not. I mean, you come to a point where I think it does have a ceiling. But if if your goal is to just be a really 
upper half team and maybe even occasionally be an upper echelon team in the ACC, I think it can work. And I mean, again, I, I, my opinion doesn't matter. I think they've obviously proved that that can be the case. Yeah, you know, I mean, they went 11 and 3 last year. I think a lot of people wouldn't have picked them to go that far. Uh, but it's right. just incredible to think what Paul Johnson's done. And I think when you think of the option to me, it, it most comes to mind discipline. And I think it's really, really hard for defenders right. to stay disciplined on their assignments in the third and fourth quarter. And offensively, man, one of the toughest things, I, mean, I remember Paul Johnson was at Navy when I was, you know, back playing for Notre Dame was, man, they go for it on fourth down. When it's fourth and one, fourth and yeah. two, they're in plus territory. They go for it. So you're sitting on the bench forever, and you probably get six, seven possessions a game, which is incredible. I mean, you go back and watch the film, you're maybe getting 45, 50 plays a game. So you better be efficient on offense and scoring points against them uh, if you want to try to come ahead in that game because they're going to shorten the game big time. But, you know, the next team I think is a sleeper that I won't mind talking about is uh, North Carolina. Uh, you know, they didn't have a okay, good season okay. last year. Um, but head coach Larry Fedora kind of has them going in the right direction. They return 17 starters on offense and defense. And on offense in particular, they have probably one of the quietest, best dual-threat quarterbacks in the country in Marquise Williams. I mean, he's a legitimate threat on the ground. His passing has continued to improve. He's got three of his returning starters at wide receiver coming back, a bunch of offensive linemen coming back, T.J. Logan at running back coming back. I mean, they're stacked on the offensive side of the football. They're really just missing a tight end. And on defense, they got seven starters returning, in particular most of their secondary uh, and a couple guys up front as well. I mean, I really think when you look at North Carolina at their schedule, they play South Carolina at the beginning of the season, which is a tough game, but it could set the tone. If they can come away with a win versus South Carolina, and they're playing at a neutral site uh, down in Charlotte, but if they can come away with a win there, they don't play anyone in non-conference, and then they basically have a pretty easy schedule with the exception of playing at Georgia Tech and at Virginia Tech uh, as well. I think they can actually win you know, possibly double-digit games this season if they start off strong versus South Carolina. Okay, so I'll go with mine, and this is not not any real an educated decision here. It's just more a curiosity. I've been in you know in the booth the last couple of years, having to talk about what we were expecting as things rolled down, and Duke just keeps showing up. As much as a credit to what David Cutcliffe has done down there, because you know from a recruiting standpoint. He's working with sometimes lesser athletes, and you might even get at Wake Forest in the conference. You know, Syracuse out in Western New York. I mean, he's at a, a serious recruiting disadvantage, quite frankly, because the the academic standard is so high there at Duke. Yet they're knocking on the door of ACC, getting to play an ACC title game each year, and they're also getting good bowl games, which is something you don't expect out of Duke. Where does that team sit this season? Do they have another chance at a sort of a Cinderella run? Yeah, I mean, when you think about David Cutcliffe and the job he's done, he's, he's brought a lot of promise to this Duke school that's really known for being a basketball school. Although oh, yeah. I feel like he's, he's a little bit of a benefactor of being in the Coastal Division. It's just not right. quite as tough as being in the Atlantic. Um, you know, they don't return a quarterback this year. Um, Anthony Boone, who was the quarterback last season, now graduates. And uh, as good as he played, it, it's going to be tough uh, to find something to replace him. I, I personally don't feel as if, uh, they'll have quite the firepower they had last year with Jameson Crowder, uh, a top-round pick going to the Washington Redskins, and uh, Isaac uh, Blackney as well. I mean, another another solid go-to guy in the wide receiver core. I just can't see them being quite as uh, impressive. And really up front, losing a guy like Lakin Tomlinson, again, another top-round pick yeah, on the offensive line. I mean, it's just it's tough to replace guys in a program like Duke who aren't really able to get those uh, you know, th- you know four-star, five-star guys. It's tough to replace the ones that, that do decide to go there that are, you know, big, uh, 
you know, influence makers and guys who really changed the course of the program. I will say this defensively, they got a ton of guys coming back in the secondary. So if they, if they aren't necessarily able to uh, score a bunch of points, I think they do have the secondary and the depth there to be able to stop some of their opponents in the passing game. You know, they're just going to have to uh, find a way of getting a pass rush because Desmond Johnson graduates and that'll be a big loss there. Well, you hit the nail on the head that I don't think anyone would presume you could swing it 10 years ago with Lincoln, with Lincoln Tomlinson. They had a first-round draft pick from Duke playing football. I mean, that, yeah. that to me is just mind-blowing. And, you know, and again, obviously having uh, having Crowder go in a, a few rounds later, but it's still a, a second-day kind of guy, that's a pretty big deal at Duke. So I think, again, hats off to, to Mr. Cutcliffe there. I think he's done a great job, but you're right. It does look like maybe a bit of an uphill challenge, but quite frankly, we didn't know these guys' names a couple of years either, and they rose to the system. So maybe he's got something going down there. Maybe there's something in that uh, smoky mountain water. Uh, so I'm going to pivot here to a couple teams that I'm cheating. I'm using you a little bit here uh, because I haven't yet done my advanced prep. <laughs> I'll be perfectly honest. I have I have Syracuse on opening day, so uh, I have the Syracuse U- URI. They play uh, URI out there in the Carrier Dome. So, tell me a little bit about what I'm going to find out about Syracuse as I dive in. Uh, I know they've they've made the transition up from the Big East. They're sitting sort of at the lower class, I guess you'd say, in the ACC, much like Louisville making the transition over, trying to make hay and climb their way up. What are sort of the prospects for the Orangemen this season? You know, I think it's looking up for them, to be honest with you. I mean, look, Scott Schaefer then suffered a big blow and they lost uh, quarterback Terrell Hunt last year for seven games uh, due to injury. So I think with his return and some of the promising future there, they really do stand a fighting chance, I think. You know, a lot of people feel like, um, the ACC may be that team that's left out, left out of the college football playoff, but I really feel like it's the conference with the most parity in it. So if they do get left out, it's more going to be, uh, be due to the fact that I think they're going to be beating up on each other really across the conference in whole. But, you know, again, you look at Alvin Cornelius and wide receiver, uh, Grizzly Estony as well. Um, you know, these guys are very capable of filling in for Weston Fleming. Last year's duo really go to wide receivers as well. So I feel like there's definitely some opportunities there uh, for Terrell Hunt, not even to grow as a passer. He's obviously an athletic guy uh, and somewhat of a dual-threat quarterback, per se. Uh, but I definitely think he's going to have some weapons. I mean, Steve Ishmael, uh, wide receiver as well, and then really Josh Paris, the tight end. He's another nice target who has really gotten better and better throughout the years. I mean, he kind of just came in as more of a uh, run-blocking type tight end, but it started to kind of develop over the course of his career. So there's definitely some talent there. I think their biggest issue is, the defense lost so many starters from last season. You know, Ron Thompson on the defensive line, Marcus Hodge at linebacker, and Julian Wiggum are the only guys coming back. And you, so you've got a leader at, at every level of the defense, but not a right. ton of depth. Right, that's important. Uh, yeah, and that's where I feel like they, they may struggle. And look, uh, you know, hats off to Syracuse. They scheduled LSU for the fourth game of the season, uh, which is not going to be an easy opponent. They have them at home. Uh, but, again, they've got – a rough go. They've also got, you know, Florida State on the road and the rest of the ACC opponents, again, Clemson at home. But it's not going to be an easy schedule, in particular having, you know, a team like Wake Forest that isn't bad, but also LSU. And don't forget, Central Michigan, you know, somewhat, I don't want to say a powerhouse in the MAC, but they're much more competitive than people give them credit. That's not, a not, that's not an easy non-conference uh, schedule game either. Well, you know, after covering the Big Ten the last couple seasons, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least touch on Pittsburgh slightly because Pitt has picked up Pat Narduzzi. I think that was quite the find. One of the hottest sort of coaching candidates the last couple of years, not knowing if he was going to take jobs to leave Michigan State, has led Michigan State, who is always sort of that – 
second-tier recruiting. They were getting the same guys that they were getting at Ohio State, not necessarily the same even that Michigan would get, yet putting together sometimes top draft picks and top defenses year after year. So how does Pat Narduzzi's system sort of translate to what, what Pittsburgh already had in their cupboard, and can they, can they compete at all in the Coastal themselves? Well, I definitely think they can compete. I mean, when you look at their defensive makeup, they got seven retarders uh, returning. Uh, in particular, you know, Matt Galabos, at linebacker, I mean, he's really the heart and soul of that defense. Reggie Mitchell, Reggie Mitchell uh, strong safety as well. Uh, two players who are really impact players for them. Uh, and I think when you look on the offensive side of the football, Tyler Boyd might be one of the top five wide receivers in all the country. It seems like, you know, Pitt continues to get – these outstanding wide receivers here are possibly first-round pick, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, Jonathan Baldwin. You know, Boyd's not quite as big. Uh, he's about six foot, 210 you know, to 215 pounds, but he's got great hands. He goes up at high points to the football, something that NFL scouts love. And he's actually great in space for his size, more of a long-legged guy, and he has the top-end speed to break away. So, you know, he's going to be definitely a go-to uh, target for a returning quarterback Chad Wojtek, I mean, and again, Wojtek, a guy who's continually gotten better the more he plays. James Conner, a running back, will be who they'll primarily lean on. He's another outstanding player in the ACC, probably one of the most underrated running backs in the conference. So I think Narduzzi has an opportunity to really kind of make some waves at Pitt. Um, you know, I mean, you look at their non-conference schedule, they really don't play anyone. They do have to go to Iowa, uh, but they've kind of had some down years lately. And, and the rest of the schedule kind of sizes up to have them be pretty effective. Um, the only other team that they play is traditionally on their on their schedule. That's kind of a non-conference for them would be Notre Dame, but they even have them at home. So I think their schedule, uh, you know, sets up for them to win possibly seven, eight, you know, maybe nine games if you can really get Boyd and, and Connor going on the offensive end. And if uh, if Narduzzi continues to be able to, you know, get pressure, I think they're definitely going to have an opportunity. I mean, the only hole they really have to fill in the offensive line, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss without mentioning, you know, T.J. Clemmings one of the top offensive linemen and, and, you know, taking this past year's draft at tackle. Yep. He's really one of the only guys they have to fill in for. Um, and I guess, you know, Matt uh, Rothram as well. Um, but besides that, they've got some experience in the offensive line to, to protect Wojtek. So it should be a pretty solid season uh, for Pitt. But, again, a lot of parity in this conference. Well, we didn't get to every team. You know, we've only got a – excuse me, 35-minute show, 40-minute show here. So, you know, we weren't able to get to UVA much. Uh, Louisville in sort of a rebuild type situation of the Bobby Petrino, Wake Forest. They got a nice campus. Uh, but it was one team that <laughs> – it was one team if I wasn't going to get a spend, you know, we, we could not finish the show without touching on is those those hurricanes, uh, those canes down in, down in Florida. What's, what's going on with Al Golden? I know that he continues to recruit pretty darn well uh you know again another season where they they send a couple high round draft high draft picks he's he's got talent in the building they keep putting people in the nfl but they're not winning games uh how hard is the heat down there in miami of the just the humidity uh canes were six and seven a year ago do things turn around a bit for the group or is is it more of that in 2015 uh you know i think it's going to be a tough season for the hurricanes in 2015 Uh, i don't i don't know if there's a hotter coaching seat than, than Al Golden's probably in college football. I mean, you're talking about a program that had so much success through the 90s and, and really into kind of 2000, and then all of a sudden uh, kind of lost its way. And they brought in Al Golden, who you had mentioned, he's recruited extremely well. And you look at last season, they go six and seven, three and five in the ACC, and then they're not really able to do much. And people are saying, well, it's not about the talent, right? Because you've got 
a first-round pick in Philip Dorsett, a second-round pick in Duke Johnson, Clive Walford, a third-round pick. Uh, they've got a ton of talent. I mean, they're able to recruit. And that's what I think is most frustrating is all these former Hurricanes players who have gone on and had Hall of Fame careers in the NFL are sitting there saying, well, I don't know if I want to send my kid down to Miami to play for Coach Al Golden. And then they're really putting a lot of pressure on the university, but it did, nothing really seemed to be the case. And really going into last season, uh, I really felt like they had their best chance to put together a pretty good run, even though uh, there wasn't a lot of optimism. Now, when the pressure's on, this is the year he needed to come away with maybe a double digit or at least a nine-win season. And I just don't see it happening. I mean, you've lost a ton uh, on the offensive side of the ball as far as productivity. And Brad Kaya is, is one of the better true sophomores across the country and, and maybe one of the better passing quarterbacks in the ACC. He can only do so much. Uh, they don't have a ton of you know, returners coming back. They've got to replace three offensive linemen. I mean, tackle Trevor Darling's coming back, but he can't do it all. And then Malcolm Lewis, the wide receiver, will look likely be the go-to guy. But just so many players lost. And, and even on defense, I mean, you're talking about losing uh, not an iconic player, but I think along the lines of close to being like a, a Ray Lewis as far as production and Denzel Perryman, a linebacker. They've had a nice tradition of, of linebackers, Jonathan Vilma as well. And others you can probably name, uh, but Perryman right. was one of those players that really, it was one of the best linebackers to go down in Miami Hurricanes history. They lose him. They don't have a ton of depth coming back. You know, Raphael Kirby is going to be the guy they'll look to to kind of fill that void. Artie Burns in the secondary cornerback, he's probably their best cover corner. But beyond that, I mean, they're they're really struggling to try to find that experience and depth to match and to put on top of it. Um, they, they play Nebraska, which isn't easy, but I actually think that's going to be a more competitive game than most people think. Uh, and then at Cincinnati, which, you know, look, don't sleep on Cincinnati now. They play at Cincinnati October 1st, and they've got a quarterback there named Gunnar Keel who's going to be one of those names you want to watch because he's going to be draft eligible after this year, and he's going to climb up the board. So don't be surprised if Miami drops one uh, at Cincinnati and there's not some sort of turnover at some point, possibly during the season without Golden. I don't think it would be a surprise to anyone, maybe at least not near where I where I grew up in the in Northwest Iowa, that that uh, Nebraska might stumble early. So that could be one where Cincinnati might actually be the tougher get because they're just a little more experienced. They're they're transitioning to an entire new system there in Nebraska uh, with a new head coach in town, Mike Riley. So how quickly they transition and Al Golden sort of he might have the advantage there at least early because his system at least is in place. Uh, so we, we've done all these preview shows uh, heading through the Power Five conferences. We still got the SEC, and we're going to do that next week. Uh, but we've ended each of these with sort of this conversation and, you know, sort of the underbelly answer here or question here that I'm putting out there because I know Notre Dame is is getting a, a decent amount of pub. We always have asked, you know, ACC's guy, whoever it ends up being, if it's Florida State, if it's Clemson, if they make the move, Georgia Tech somehow sneaks in, wh- whoever whoever it comes out of this conference. Does the ACC, whomever their guy, whomever the guy that advances is, do they have sort of the power to be one of those four, provided they're a one-loss team? Or is this the conference, as you mentioned earlier, that maybe they beat each other a little bit and Notre Dame flies through and maybe somebody who's a non-Power 5 slips in or, you know, as a year ago when uh, <laughs> the Big 12 didn't get one at all. So is the ACC strong enough to where their guy goes? You know, when I look at this conference in general, I really feel like there's just too much parity. They're going to be knocking each other down a peg. And you mentioned it, and, I, you know, I've kind of been alluding to it all along. Is Notre Dame probably will be the team that has the best chance of running the table and really representing the ACC in the college football playoff. What it comes down to is, one, if they're able to be undefeated. I don't think Notre Dame gets in 
uh, as far as a one loss unless there's just uh, a complete, uh, I guess, multiple teams that are conference champions that have lost maybe a couple games, then maybe right. you use them as a consideration. But at this point, you know, I would say you have to think that uh, Notre Dame has the best chance. And, and really along those lines, I'd say Florida State as well, uh, if they can try to run the table with goals as a quarterback. But that's a tough transition for any quarterback. So then a lot of people like Clemson. But can Deshaun Watson stay healthy? I don't know, especially now with an offensive line that's not returning. So I really feel like it ends up being Notre Dame as an independent, but subtly aligned with the ACC to really be the best team to represent them uh, in the college football playoff. Otherwise, it could be the ACC and really Notre Dame on the outside looking in. Well, if it's not Notre Dame, then I think Big 12 fans are happy to hear that. If TCU and Baylor get their stuff together, maybe this time one of the four will get through. But uh, all right, that's really all we got today, Brady. Thank you so much for coming on. The FBF podcast can be found for streaming, download, and subscription to the show on the footballbyfootball.com homepage, on blogtalkradio.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on the TuneIn app. Be sure to check out footballbyfootball.com for great stuff by guys like Brady, myself, and all the other dudes, and many, many more experienced former players. And if you don't already, give Football by Football a follow on Twitter at FBByFB, or check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page. Thanks, boss. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.